are the life, God. And within you, God, when we put our trust in you, there truly is no death, Lord. There's just life further beyond this place with you, God. Lord, um, as this morning, we just remember the sacrifice um, you first made for us on the cross, God. But then the sacrifice that so many others made for us um, all around the world, Lord. For us to be able to worship freely in this place this morning, God. Lord, I pray that our um, hearts will be humbled and that we'll just be reminded of how blessed we are, God. Lord, um, I just pray that, God, whatever sin is in our life holding us back, whatever doubt is filling our mind, whatever fear is, is captivating us, Lord, that you'll remove that this morning and just remind us of how deep your love is and let us feel that love wrapped around us this morning, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Today is a very special day in the life of our nation and churches uh, throughout our nation at this point in their services uh, are working together in cooperation to recognize the sacrifice and the willingness to sacrifice that our veterans uh, have certainly, that willingness that has bestowed upon this country the freedoms that we have. A little history for us. Uh, some of you may already know that Armistice Day marked the end of World War I. Uh, it was the 11th hour of the 11th month on the 11th day in 1918. So we're approaching the 11th hour of the 11th month and the 11th day, exactly 100 years uh, marking the end of World War I. Obviously, that's not the only conflict and war that many people were uh, willing to sacrifice and did sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy in our great nation. So what we're going to do at this point in our service is we have a church bell, and we're going to ring it, all right? But it's in the old sanctuary, so we've got to be really quiet. And so what I propose is that we spend time praying right now and, and giving thanks and remembering the people that we recall, that we can see their faces, that we know were, were willing to serve and did serve. And then let's thank God for the lives that were given uh, so that we might be free, so that we might enjoy, for example, the assembling, assembling that we enjoyed today uh, at this very hour. So we're going to open the side door here. Catherine, why don't you go ahead and do that? And I want us to bow in prayer and remembrance and gratitude for all of our veterans. And the goal is to ring the bell 
about 11 times, okay? That church bell is hard to control. And thank the Lord for Bryson. He's over there serving the Lord by ringing the bell. But let's let this be a, a serious time of reflection and gratitude. Giles, if you'll go ahead. Um, let's just spend some time in prayer, okay? Father, thank you for the bells of peace and what a joy it must have been to know that the conflict had ended. But Father, we know that conflict still exists, war still exists, and at times it is a necessity in order to preserve greater peace, greater freedom, and greater causes. So we pause here at Glenlock as churches are doing all over our land today and we give you thanks and praise for who you are and for what you do on our behalf and for the ultimate sacrifice that is Christ for our sins. And may we be sacrificial people. May we be self-giving people for things that are greater than ourselves for the sake of your kingdom and the sake of righteousness all across the globe, Father, to the, to the ends of the earth. We are grateful for the freedoms that we have in this country, this nation, and for the veterans, Father, who place themselves in harm's way, who are trained and equipped and ready if necessary for whatever might threaten our land. Thank you, Father, for the amazing blessings you bestowed upon each one of us. Forgive us for our often times of ingratitude and lack of appreciation and awareness for just how blessed we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this point, I'm going to recognize one of our veterans, uh, Durell Langley. Durell, would you come? He may already be behind me. Durell has a presentation for our veterans. I have something for all of our veterans that are here today. If you're able to walk, I want you to come up front and let the ones that are here see who our veterans are. So at this time, if you'll start coming forward, come up front right here in front of me, I have something I want to present you to. If for some reason you're not able to walk and you are a veteran that is here, if you'll just hold your hand up, we'll bring it to you. But uh, surely we've got more veterans here today than Ellis. Okay, Randy's in the back. Yeah, all of you come on up front. Because I've seen, I know, I've seen some of you around at some of our other uh, celebrations that we've had the last couple of days. And if some of you have a, a family member that you're close to, if y'all will come up and stand over here on my right, what I have for our veterans today on behalf of the Heard County American Legion Post 148, I have a coin that uh, says, thank you for being a veteran. It's a commemorative type coin. And if you have a family member that you would like to give one of these coins to, I've got enough coins as to where I can present one to you. So if y'all want one for a family member, if y'all come over to my right, I'll be sure and give you one. Uh, one other thing, the American Legion is the largest veterans organization in the world. The American Legion is also celebrating 100 years in existence. After World War I and after the armistice was signed, there was about 15 or 20 World War I, World War I veterans met 
uh, in France in 1919, and they started the American Legion. So the American Legion is also celebrating 100 years in existence at the beginning of 1919. So anytime that you can support a veteran in any way, you know, please do that because they make a big sacrifice for us to be able to be here today in our freedom. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Derail. We appreciate your ministry to veterans in our area, and he is the go-to guy if you have a need in a veteran's life that, that needs meeting. Hey, before our children leave, uh, let, let me let us all know about some opportunities for ministry in relationship to some uh, people who lost loved ones in the last few days, because not everyone knows all of these uh, circumstances and situations. Miss Ann Parker's daughter, Connie Whaley, uh, passed away suddenly this week. Her memorial service visitation service will be from two to four Georgia time at Dryden's funeral home in Heflin, Alabama. Uh, Mr. Richard Carlisle, we were sad to hear, passed away. I do not have the details, but let's pray for um, his family, and for Miss Becky Carlisle in particular. D. Banks' father, Daryl Skipper, passed away. That's also Joe Banks' grandfather. Uh, his funeral service will be at 2 o'clock Tuesday in Cochrane, Georgia. Uh, Clyde Carmichael passed away. That's Mr. Alan Banks' brother-in-law. Uh, Joe Bledsoe had asked for prayer for him last weekend, and uh, he passed, and and. So let's remember that family in, in our prayers. And I've got good news. Michael and Yumi were married yesterday. Did any of you see that on Facebook Live? So we know Michael's joy is through the roof, okay? So I just want to give us some context and opportunities to be in prayer for these families and to give thanks for what God's doing in Michael's life. Okay, at this point, children's volunteers and children, can head out to Children's Church. The rest of us, let's transition to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Displays the treasure of the gospel. I'm hearing myself preach. So right off the bat, we need... So right off the bat, we need to stop that. <laughs> I could sit down and we could listen to it again. <laughs> that might be better. I want to thank our, our, our ladies and gentlemen back there who week after week serve the Lord so diligently. I guarantee one thing I don't want to know is how to do anything back there. And, and I'm not alone. We appreciate you guys uh, and the, the terror and the awe that is technology within the local church. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, in 2 Corinthians 5, you know, we're working our way verse by verse through 2 Corinthians. And what I love about this is that you're going to come to some passages that, that, that truly have truths in them that transcend the things of life that we deal with on a daily basis. And they are transforming. And it's, it's important to come and, and, and embrace these truths and see these truths and believe these truths. You may not think that they're relevant to you now because of your current life situation, but I guarantee you that what we talk about here in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning is relevant and is going to be pressing and relevant in my life and in your life. Uh, and, and when I read the text, you'll understand why. But just to give you a heads up, Gina Kingston, 
I told you, you, were, you, you became a sermon illustration this morning. Uh, as I'm sitting here thinking through what I'm going to say as I introduce my sermon and thinking through the, the message and the service itself, Gina comes up to me and she has her Bible with her and she says, you're preaching one of my favorite passages this morning. And then Gina shows me in her Bible, she's got written in the margin a little note about the text that we're about to read. And it says that God gave her this text when she discovered that her mother was sick. Now, I don't know how much longer, Gina, time frame-wise, your mom lived. Uh, not long. I want to thank Gina for her love for the Word. Uh, and I want to encourage us to write the truth of Scripture on our hearts on a regular basis and to embrace it and believe it. So let's read uh, this encouraging text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, We know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, or as a down payment. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage. That's the second time he has said that. He is saying these things to encourage us, and to give us strength and endurance and faith, and trust and perseverance as we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, in verse 8, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition. We're ambitious, and this is our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And here's why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Father, thank you for our passage today, which comes from you and from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and then also to us. Thank you for the truths that we will review today, that we will see today. And Father, we need your grace and your encouragement to walk and to live not by sight, but instead by faith in you and trusting you and looking to you as we make this journey through life, ultimately to our, our heavenly home with you. In Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. So obviously there's a lot here. Uh, but to me, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us is, we are called to walk by faith. We are called to live by faith. And Paul likens our life as disciples of Christ, our life as believers, as a journey, as a walk. We're going from somewhere to some place, and along the way we are on a journey. You've heard me say this before. One of my favorite pastors, mentors, authors was a man named Eugene Peterson. And he had a book titled, and this is to me a, a good summary of what the Christian life is, it is a long obedience in the same direction. It is a long obedience in the same direction. As John Bunyan wrote, it is a pilgrim's prog progress. 
And you've heard me say before, too, I, I tend to repeat myself often, <laughs> that Christopher Columbus, it was said about him that when he left, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he returned, he didn't know where he had been. <laughs> that's a good way of viewing us as modern man. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? I mean, do you ever think about the ultimate issues and the bigger issues? And do you have a framework by which you place the circumstances of your life that you know, this is where I'm from, this is who I am, and this is where I'm going, and this is why I'm here in the process. This passage, as we travel, helps us by giving us this treasure of the gospel. Not to belabor the points, but I do want to work through the text and give us some things to think about this morning. Number one, Paul presents before us a great contrast. So I want to say to us, his main idea in verses 1 through 4 is that you and I need to be mindful of the contrast between our present condition compared with our future glory. You need to always be aware, this is the condition that I'm in now, but... God has revealed to us the condition that we're going to be in in the future in glory. So what does he say about our condition now? Well, Paul was like me. He was desperate for sermon illustrations, and wherever he saw something to use, he used it. Paul was a leather worker. He was a leather worker in Corinth. And as he's working that leather he also used that leather to, to make tents. Did, he, did you know that Paul worked with his hands and was a tent maker at times in his ministry? Because he was a leather worker who often made and repaired tents, he thought of something, or rather the Spirit enlightened him in an, in an analogy. Look at verse 1. He calls this earthly body that we have, this physical mortal body, he calls it a what? In verse 1, it's an earthly tent. So as Paul's working on these tents and he's thinking about his own life and his own sufferings and his weaknesses and his inadequacies and his failures, he's working with this leather and he's making tents with Priscilla and Aquila and he says to himself, my body's like this tent. And then he goes on and he, he describes it for us. Our current condition is, th is this. We are in a temporal, earthly tent. When you go camping, usually, most of you, some of you, are in tents. It's not permanent. It's not where you hope to be forever. It's momentary. It, it will be torn down. In this tent, he says, we groan because we're burdened. And we want to be clothed. God has set eternity in our hearts. And we long for the righteousness and the permanence and the beauty and the immortality of a new body being clothed with a new body that God himself prepares that transcends our mortal state. This is going to be torn down. And it points to the limitations and disabilities of Life here on earth in our current state. Hey, what are your groanings? I could share with you some of mine. <laughs> Past few days, I've noticed my eyes are straining more and more to read small text. I don't think it'll be much longer that I have glasses up here to be able to read to see the Bible in my notes. Times this week, my head has ached, my shoulder hurts. A few weeks ago, I told you the story about falling. My knee is finally recovering from the bloody spot that was there. Gross, right? My back gets tight. My right leg gets numb at times. My kids run circles around me, and I say, I wish I had that energy again. And you're like, be quiet. Our ailments and our groanings are way beyond what you're talking about, Pastor Neil. And they are. In this body, we have a great contrast now between what we go through now and what we shall possess later. 
I can't belabor this, but essentially the Bible says that if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, your body will one day be conformed to the same image and same likeness as the resurrected body of Jesus. And that's why Paul says these things. Paul already had a clue as to how good it was going to be in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. So it's helpful for us to remember that the fact that we groan and are burdened here on earth points us to something that he gets to later. What's wrong with us? Well, we are under judgment. We're under a sentence. We're under a curse. I had one lady years ago who suffered tremendously and still does physically, mentally, and emotionally. She said, Pastor Neil, are are we cursed? The Bible says we are under the curse of sin and death and judgment. So we experience physical pain, spoiled relationships, the toil of work and childbirth and the daily grind. People disregard God. We don't express thanks and worship to Him as we should and must. And all of us continue to struggle with sin. We notice the moral decay all around us that continues to not only take place, but grows worse and worse. And So God commands all of us to repent and to live a life of repentance because He has fixed a day in which all people will be judged. So we need to be mindful of the contrast between where we are now and where we will be. And let this empower us to live hope-filled lives, to be willing to sacrifice the temporal for the eternal, and to be generous with our time and our energy and our bodies and our resources in the right ways. I was encouraged one time by this statement from the young 16-year-old slave Frederick Douglass who during his slavery was encouraged by the thought that one day he would be set free. And so I walked into a hospital room one time to visit someone in our church who was dying from cancer. And she read this quote to me, and it was an encouragement to her. I said, give me that again. I want to write it down, and I've shared it frequently. Frederick Douglass said this, and it was an encouragement to her in her physical suffering. The excessive misery of suffering while in slavery will only enhance my happiness when I'm set free. Paul said the same thing in chapter 4 earlier. We looked at it last week. Our current suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses what we're going through now. That encourages me. That points me to God and and to to his trustworthiness and to his faithfulness. So be mindful of the contrast that exists, this real, between where we are now and where we shall be, and notice that the effect of this on your body and your mind and your heart and your life is something that we deal with on a regular basis. Let's move on to the second point. Verses 1 through 4, he uses the tent illustration as he thought about his own weaknesses, his own uh, frailties, and his own hurts and pains. But in verse 5, he gives us something very encouraging and comforting. And it's at the end of verse 5, and he talks about what God has prepared us for. He says, God has prepared us for this very purpose, and he's given to us something as a pledge. What does it say God has given? His Spirit. God has made a down payment into your life and my life. God has put, and there are several analogies that deal with this word that Paul uses at the end of verse 5, a pledge. God has deposited something into our lives. This word was also used in this particular context and culture of something similar to an engagement ring. It's a promise of something that's going to take place in the future, a guarantee. So God has placed in my life and in your life as believers and as disciples His Holy Spirit. 
And this is a pledge or guarantee of an ultimate payment. It is a first installment of a purchase which requires future payments and work. So God essentially gives us himself in our hearts and lives as a guarantee that that what we experience now as a foretaste, he is going to finally deliver when Christ returns. He has fully equipped us with himself and his resources to live in this foreign alien world. As we go along the journey, we have a resource. And I'm grateful to Benji and Michelle, our discussion last Sunday morning in Sunday school, Wearsby. Warren Wearsby, great Bible teacher, basically said, we're like scuba divers. Remember that illustration? It's only a week ago, right? We're like scuba divers. How can scuba divers exist underwater? Well, they're equipped with something. They're equipped with resources that enable them to plunge into an alien environment, a foreign environment, and still have air to breathe. And so if God has prepared us for himself, and we're passing through as pilgrims in a sin-tainted, fallen, cursed world where we have death and destruction and decay and world... God, how are we to make it all the way home? How are we to know that that you guarantee that that what you've promised you will fulfill? Well, there are a lot of ways that he encourages us, but the greatest way is through what Jesus called the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So he's assured us. He's promised us. He's guaranteed us of the glory to come through his Spirit. And then my third point is he's given us a new ambition. A new ambition. Look at verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, always being of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. He says, We walk by faith, not, not by sight. He says, We are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So to be absent from the body is to be where? To be at home with the Lord. And because this is our guarantee, and because this is where we belong, and that's our place of ultimate hope and security, look at verse 9. It changes my ambition here. These eternal truths of what is going to come and what God is guaranteed that will be affects my thinking and my living and my behaving now. I have now a higher ambition, a new ambition. And what is it? That whether I'm home in heaven... Or absent and here, I want to be what? To be pleasing to Him. To be pleasing to God. To be pleasing to Christ. So let's call time out here and let's ask ourselves a a confronting question. Do you ever consider what is pleasing to Him in your daily thoughts and behaviors? Or do you consider only yourself? Or maybe those around you that you want to please? Paul says the ultimate ambition of the life of the believer and the one who is on this journey is to please Christ. Why is that our highest ambition? Because Christ died for us. He gave himself up for us. He loved us and he secured for us, following this life and this world, a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are strangers in a strange land, so to speak, and And we belong at our home. I love how Paul used over and over and over, home, home, home. He's driving uh, into our hearts and minds this, this destiny. So whatever our location, the main ambition of those who are walking by faith is to please him. So let's think for just a moment, what are your highest ambitions? What are your goals, your dreams? What do you think about on a regular basis as far as where you're going with your life? For the believer, simply put, the question is, what does the Bible say? Because in the Bible, we have the revealed will of God. We have what pleases God, what delights God. If our greatest if, if what God has prepared us for and the greatest purpose for which we could live is pleasing God, then, then we have to step back and ask, okay, what pleases Him? 
And to sum up what the Bible says, what pleases him is to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then if you're like me, you stop and say to yourself, well, I'm not always pleasing to him. (laughs) And so what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do about the fact that I sin and fall short of his glory? If it's our ambition to live lives that that bring delight and pleasure to God, if that is our ambition, if that is our goal and that is our delight, how do we do that? When I've never preached a sermon that wasn't tainted in some way, by my sin, my selfishness, my frailties, my flaws, all my righteousness is as filthy rags before him. How can I live a life pleasing to him? I'll go ahead and give you a clue and a heads up in that the Bible says that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Ah, so there's the clue. What ultimately pleases God in a perfect and beautiful way, is the pleasure that God has in His Son. Right? What did God say about Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Trust Him. Believe in Him. So upon the Son, the Father gave His full uh, pleasure and favor. So if I'm going to be ultimately pleasing to God... God has to see me through who? Through Jesus. And that takes the pressure off me trying to earn righteousness or merit righteousness. But now we serve out of joy and gratitude because of God's accepting of us in who? In Christ. So God changes our ambitions. And then we begin to live up to what we've already been commanded to do. And that is truly to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. The goal of all this instruction is love from a pure heart and a strong faith that would be pleasing to Christ. Ask every day, is this pleasing to Christ? Ask every day about your choices, your decisions, your behaviors. What has God already revealed in in His Word in the Bible that He says pleases Him? And pray in your heart of hearts what our Lord taught us to pray. Father, may thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Because in heaven there is perfect surrender and submission and aligning with the will of God. Someday we will be there. Then let me give you this closing point. Backing up to where we've already been, he's shown us a contrast. He's given us a comfort. He's also shown us what our ambition now needs to be, and that is pleasing Him in every respect. But I alluded to it earlier, and the real test, the real concern is what we find in verse 10. Because here's a final exam that none of us will exempt. Here's a final test that none of us can dodge or escape. There are no exemptions and no exceptions. And that is this terrifying message, this warning in verse 10 that that initially is terrifying, but after I share this with you, I hope it is encouraging. And here's why. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he is encouraging them to live lives that are pleasing to God. Now, I've already pressed the issue a little bit in asking, how can I stand before God and be pleasing to Him? But here's the question. Look at verse 10. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that word judgment seat was a step up. The word bema that he uses there for judgment seat was a step up. So how, how, are, how, how am I and how are you and how are we going to step up into the judgment of God and, and survive that test? How can any of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ? That each of us may be recompensed for the deeds that we've done in this tent, in this body, according to what we've done, good or bad. Well, let me say a few things about this judgment seat in verse 10. This judgment that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 5 
determines not our status, but our reward. In other words, he's writing this to believers that he's going to tell in just a few verses next week that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So this is not a judgment seat to determine whether or not you're in God or not, whether or not you're in heaven or hell. This is not that. This is a time in which God rewards those who are already in Christ for the deeds that they've done. This is not to determine whether you're not his child or whether or not you're forgiven. Listen, God in Christ has already, the sentence has already been served. The debt has already been paid. So that when we approach the judgment seat of Christ that he refers to here, we approach confidently knowing that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That Jesus took this test for me and passed it on my behalf. That he lived the life that I could never live, and he died the death that I deserved to die, so that when I approach the judgment seat of Christ, I don't approach in fear of condemnation, but I approach with, with expectancy of reward. For a simple-minded person like me, it was like thinking about the year-end banquet of an athletic sports season. Now, if you play baseball, football, basketball, the coaches always tend to schedule year-end banquets, right? Everybody on the team gets something. Nobody on the team gets punished. <laughs> but after all, we live in a culture where everybody gets a trophy, right? All right? I'm not pressing this analogy too far. But what he's saying is that if you're in Christ, the judgment has already fallen upon Jesus. And that's why you hear him saying from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. He was forsaken so that when we approach the judgment seat of Christ, believers are dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And so what we're talking about now is all the rewards that the Bible promises for those who do good in the body. Are you with me? We are already delivered from the works of the law. God has already justified us through the perfect righteousness and the finished work of Christ as our atonement on our behalf. The gospel is not do better. The gospel is done. It's finished. It's finished in Christ. And it's God's amazing love that has done this on our behalf. So now we now work and serve and give, not to earn or merit forgiveness or salvation, but rather out of obedience and gratitude for what God has already done. And with a view toward the future rewards awaiting those who do good works in his name. I believe that there will be degrees of punishment for those who have rejected God. And I also believe there will be degrees of reward for those who have served Him faithfully. So this reminding about this ultimate exam is both convicting and it's inspiring. We will give an account, every single one of us, of what we've done with our, with our lives before, before Christ, before our Lord and our King. We will be manifested. We will be made known. If you look at verse 10 where it says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that doesn't just mean we will all show up. It means we will all be known. We will be manifested for who we are to give an account. And I say this is encouraging because Jesus promised that every single thing you do in his name will be rewarded on some level. As you serve and as you give and as you love, God sees it all. He knows it all. So whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. The daily thoughts, the daily interactions that we have, they matter. And they matter to God.
You may remember the children's rhyme. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Why? For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, and so forth, what you see. Man, this means that everything matters. Everything has meaning. And as I said, that's both encouraging and it's convicting. Got a call last week or the week before. My son Eli is now out in the real world, has a, a job in the insurance industry. We didn't even know. Terry Harper knows this. You got to pass an exam before you become official out there. He says, I passed my exam. <laughs> You know what it feels like to pass an exam? You know what it feels like to fail an exam? (laughs) I've made zeros before and thought to myself, how in the world am I ever going to pull this up? There's no way to pull up a zero and pass this class by the end of the semester. So all of us live in that tension. Pass, fail. Acceptance, rejected. I would think the ultimate fail would be to hear him say depart from me you workers of iniquity I never knew you what a terrifying thing to be on the outside of that what a terrifying thing to not be welcomed into this home that Paul talks about as I look over the course of my moral righteousness I've got I've got zeros and 20s and 30s and C's and D's all over the place God doesn't grade on, on the curve. I told my wife one time, she said, how'd you do in that class? I said, I aced it. She said, what'd you make? I said, I made a C. <laughs> that's, that's my standard of righteousness, right? How are we going to be accepted before God? Are we going to be accepted before God? God looks upon Christ for our righteousness And he is the one who stands in our place, both in his righteousness and in his crucifixion, so that you and I can know, so that we can know for certain that when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ, that we won't be cast out, but we will pass, and God will say about us what he said about his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or what about this? Well done, good and faithful servant. Are you going to pass that test? You know, one reason Paul mentions this is that in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he tells the Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? The whole reason he he mentions the judgment seat of Christ is so that we will spend time examining ourselves and find our confidence and our courage and our boldness related to what's going to happen at the end of time and the end of our lives. Find that in Christ. Will you pass the test? He tells us to ask this and then to examine ourselves. And then once we realize that we pass the test, we're in. We're bold. We're confident. So here's some questions. You're saying, you're going a little bit long this morning. I know. I'm doing this on purpose because we never think through these things on our own. The natural man doesn't want to ask himself these questions. Test yourself. Let me ask you some questions. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love Him? Do you know what it means when John says, He must increase, I must decrease? Do you believe His Word? Do you love His Word? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you increasing in your love and your service for other people? Do you love His church and gathering with His church? Are you increasing in the fruit of the Spirit? Are you a gracious and forgiving person? Because forgiven people are forgiving people. Are you becoming less selfish? 
and more self-giving and more self-sacrificial? Are you adjusting in a godly way to the changes of life with trust and patience and poise through difficulty and tragedy and mistreatment? Are you increasingly aware of your own sinfulness? Do you grieve it? Do you hate it? And are you mortifying it on a daily basis? Are you sharing your faith? All these are questions that I began to ask myself this week as I realized that one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll be honest with you, these are the questions that Scripture gives to us to ask ourselves to see whether or not we're ready. But on every single one of these, I say to myself, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of of, of God in this. Look to Christ on my behalf and forgive me and accept me based on Him. And then I'll continue to strive to improve and please you in these areas. I think that's what all of us can say. I've got that. I'll close with this. I'm, I'm done with this. This is a little patch that I put on my swimsuit when I was a child. And it says on it, intermediate swimmer. <laughs> what in the world does this mean? This was my fish. Someone was talking a few weeks, a few days ago about the Callaway Educational Association in LaGrange. My mom, bless her heart, wanted us to learn to swim. Thank you, Mom, for taking us to swimming lessons at Callaway Pool in LaGrange. We were from Franklin, so one of the obstacles was that nobody there knew where we were from. Little kids would ask me, where are you from? I'd say, Franklin, we don't know where that is. So I felt like an outsider. When you got there, the pool was freezing. They made you do 10,000 bobs to start the day. You go through all these series of lessons and, and, and instruction to ultimately, to ultimately get your fish, your patch. And what the patch did, it guaranteed that you could now swim in the deep end. And that you could now dive off the high dive. See, before I got my patch, I really wanted to go into the deep end. I really wanted to dive off the high dive. So periodically, me, my brother, some friends, we'd slip under the rope into the deep end. Not where we belong. And the lifeguards blow the whistle, get back in your area. You don't have a fish. (laughs) But eventually, eventually, I got my fish, all right? And with confidence and boldness, I did everything my fish enabled me to do. I had met my certification. I had gone through all those classes. I jumped off the high dive with my clothes on and took my jeans off and made myself a a flotation device. All the stuff that they put you down. Finally got my fish. One of the highlights of my childhood. No longer did I have to sneak around. (laughs) But my confidence was based on the fact that I had received from the proper authorities this fish. So last week we were talking about Callaway. I called mom. I said, Mom, you still got that fish? She still had the fish. This is not something, this is something that I earned, so to speak, but I had a lot of help getting there. Tell you what. The confidence that we have to be in the kingdom, to enjoy all the blessings of kingdom, to be welcomed home like the prodigals welcomed home, to stand before the throne dressed in his righteousness, all of that comes not through what we have done or earned, but only through what Christ has done on our behalf. He is our confidence. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. And then once we grasp that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, we are set free to then, by the power of the Spirit, begin to love God and to love others, not to earn or merit, but because we're already there. And God will reward us because He's a gracious and loving Father. Please accept in my humanness and my inadequacies my attempt at proclaiming these great truths of 2 Corinthians 5. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Without that, none of us can stand before you. But I also thank you for the clear warnings of Scripture that we will stand before you. 
And we'll either be accepted in Christ or judged apart from Christ with eternal separation from you. What a terrifying thing it would be to hear when standing before the great white throne of judgment that we would be cast out forever into the lake of fire with the devil and his, his demons, the place that you prepared for them. Instead, you've made us a home and you made us a way home. And I pray, Father, that we would not only trust Christ for salvation, but trust Him daily for our confidence and our assurance and our hope and our boldness, our perseverance, our joy. Father, everything that you command of us comes from believing these truths. We pray that we would believe them and embrace them this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Living for Jesus. We changed our invitation because we felt like this is the ambition for every believer, to live a life for Jesus that is pleasing in Him. Catherine, would you lead us? I have some extra coins. If you have a friend that is a veteran, 
or if you have an extended family member that is a veteran and you would like to give them one of these coins, thanking them for being a veteran, I'll have them on the table uh, in the vestibule. They'll be in the very middle section. Uh, I'll just set the box there. You just stop by and pick one up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, and we just thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. And we just thank you for the opportunity to, to give back to you so that we may continue to do your work. And as we go through this time, Father, just let our hearts be open and let our minds be open, and let us just give back to you that portion which is in our hearts that we're able to afford and we're able to give to you. This we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>